Oh, come on. Good morning, Go Church family. How you feel today? You feel good? Oh, come on. Somebody put your hands together. Come on. Let's just love Jesus together. Let's go. Hey, I know, uh, I know you've been greeted a few times today already, and it's so good to see you. Familiar faces, new faces. It's an honor to be, get, be, to be together on this Sunday. And uh, I just wanted to go ahead and officially announce that I will be running for President of the United States. And I'm, yep, and I'm doing away with Time Change Sunday. Come on, that's my only platform right there. So vote for me, and uh, the Lord will be with us. So uh, I know the extra hour of sleep on a normal Sunday is helpful, but we got Holy Ghost power in this room. Come on, at every campus. So you got Jesus and you got coffee. And so God bless you for being here today. Let me look in the cameras in the back of the room. I want to say good morning to our Montgomery County, Maryland campus. God bless all of you there in MoCo. And then, of course, our electric Westside Atlantic campus. We greet all of you today. And then everybody watching online, whoever you are, wherever you're watching from, we say God bless you. And it's such a joy to be connected together. So how about we do this? Every location today, can we put our hands together and greet one another like one big family of God? Come on. Come on, in this room a little louder here. Let them hear you. Westside, Maryland, online. And then we have a tradition here where we give honor to the men and women that serve in the military and all of our first responders. And so if that's you at every campus, veteran of the military, active duty, currently working as a first responder, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your hand in the air and I want every campus to show some love. Come on, keep those hands up high. Come on, real loud right here. Come on. Thank you, both of you. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, help me clap. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Come on, I'm coming this way. In the back, God bless you. Thank you so much. Come on, five more seconds here. Appreciate you. It's good. Love you. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for of putting your life on the line to serve and protect ours. So let me give you three quick things, very, very fast. Uh, you can take pictures of the screen if you want to use it as a save the date. I'm gonna give you three upcoming events that are happening at Go Church. I'm gonna start a month out. I'll go four weeks out. We'll go two weeks out and then we'll go next week, okay? So a month away is Easter at Go Church. Come on, somebody, Easter. So you, how many of you know this? Don't make me preach an Easter sermon right now, but you can celebrate Easter any day of the week. Jesus is alive. Come on, he's alive. But we're gonna celebrate Easter at Go Church. So I wanted you to see our gathering times uh, so that you can make plans to attend with you and your family and friends. At our South Metro Atlanta campus, we have a 7 a.m. traditional sunrise gathering. That's gonna happen on the east end of our building here under the beautifully glass-covered atrium. There's only about, God bless you, there's only about 250 seats in that atrium area. So you gotta RSVP online or on the app. Uh, tickets for that are absolutely free. Come on, they're free. And you know the old saying, if it's free, it's for me. Can I get an amen? Come on. But we need you to register so that we can accommodate just 250 people. And then, of course, here we'll have our 815, 945, 1145. Montgomery County is going to two gatherings. Come on, going to two gatherings. So proud of you all. So 9 and 11 on Easter. And then our West Side campus, you've got a 10 a.m. gathering. So whatever campus you're a part of, whatever campus you're near, it's going to be a great Sunday uh, celebrating Easter at Go Church, all right? Then two weeks from today, so that's a month from today, two weeks from today, we've got Charlotte Gamble in the room. Come on. So we've been promoting in-house about her ministry. She's fantastic from the UK. I've told you before, she's got an accent, so she's like double anointed. Come on. Author of over 16 books, runs a couple of nonprofits. I'm telling you, she preaches the paint off the walls 
And so I want you to, uh, to encourage your family, your friends to be here for that day. That's in two weeks from today, so save the date, all right? And then next Sunday, it is finally here. We're declaring Sunday, March the 19th to be Miracle and Healing Sunday. Anybody excited about this? Come on. First time ever in uh, my ministry as a lead pastor, have we declared a specific day to be a day of miracles and healing. Uh, we're putting great faith to believe that God is a God who performs miracles. God can do miracles at any moment of any day. He doesn't need us to schedule a day. But I know because of uh, the stories of our Go Church family that many of you need a miracle. Come on, if that's you, just put your hand up real quick. We need a miracle. So on this day at every campus, um, this is how that'll look. I'm gonna, so this is next Sunday, by the way. I'm gonna preach a, a shorter uh, message at the end of that, uh, we're gonna transition to our campus pastors and then to this room, and we're gonna pray for every person that would allow us to pray for you. When you share a prayer request with us, that is sacred, and it's an honor. And so we're gonna lay hands on you, if that's okay. We're gonna anoint you with oil. Uh, we'll talk more about that next Sunday, the significance of that, including prayer cloths. On my desk today, thanks to our prayer team, there are right at 2,000 prayer cloths that Kimberly and I will personally pray over and anoint every prayer cloth. Those will be arriving in Montgomery County and Westside uh, this week. And then every person, you can take a prayer cloth with you just to hold on to that as you continue to pray for your miracle and believe for your miracle. It's gonna be a wonderful day, and I am confident that we're gonna hear stories of God putting his power on display. Come on, anybody got faith to believe that? So here's why we're doing that. Here's why we're doing Miracle and Healing Sunday. Here's why we're doing this whole series called The God of Miracles. At the end of last year, moving into this new year, the Lord gave me Psalm 77, 14 as the word of the year, the word of the year. And I'd love for you to pray this out loud with me on the count of three. And as you do this, I want you to pray it um, with great faith today. Uh, we say it like this around here, that the most powerful prayers you can ever pray are when you pray the scriptures when you open up the Bible and you just pray the scripture. And so when I count to three and you pray this, I'd love for you to pray this over whatever needs you have, over whatever miracle you're believing God for. That might be relational, it might be spiritual, it might be emotional, whatever, the, it might be financial, whatever the need, I want you to declare this truth from God's word, which by the way, this is a church and I are a pastor, pardon the grammar, bad grammar, good preaching, that we believe we believe that God is still in the miracle working business. Can I get 100 people that agree with that? Like God can do it. God can do it. And we have faith to believe it, but we've also seen it. And if God has done it, then he can do it now. And if God can do it for them, he can do it for me. Come on. So are you ready? On the count of three, one, two, three. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. Did you see, say that like you meant it? Let's try it one more time. Come on, declare it in Jesus' name. One, two, three. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. And that is the truth. So today, we are in week number five of the God of Miracles series. If you've missed any previous week, please go back online and listen to the messages. This has been a powerful, life-changing series. Uh, even next Sunday, I'll... The Lord will allow me the time and the opportunity. I'll share with you a couple of testimonies of miracles that have already happened this year as a part of our Go Church family. God is moving, and you are uh, next in line for your miracle, all right? 
So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Take 10 seconds, moment of concentration and focus, a kind of uh, allowing the Lord to center your thoughts. It's not ignoring the busyness of your week that you've had or you will have or the challenges of life. It's just asking the Lord, whatever you wanna speak to me today through this message, I wanna be able to position myself uh, to hear. So this is the prayer, give me ears to hear, give me spiritual eyes to see, and give me a heart to receive what you want to speak to me. 10 seconds and I'll pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, Lord, um, I'm, I'm asking you to anoint me today. And I thank you for that anointing that you've placed on my life. I'm not standing on the stage with any other desire or agenda than just to bring you honor and to bring you glory. Lord, this series is a miracle in itself that you would display your power in our lives truly is supernatural. I am a living testimony of the God of miracles and I pray that today that I would preach this message out of the remembrance of the miracles that you've done in me and in my life. And so God, it's not my desire to be a famous pastor. Those two words should never go together, but it is the purity of my heart to make you famous. So I want you to get the glory today, you to get the praise. You tell us in your word, if we lift you up from the earth, you'll draw people to you. So that's our job today, was lifting you up, giving you the glory and giving you praise. And so speak to his Holy Spirit and have your way in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the whole church said amen and amen. I want you to go 10 seconds here. Just love on Jesus. Come on with the best praise you've got. Come on. Oh, come on. Somebody shout unto God with a voice of triumph this morning. Let's go. Come on. Somebody clap like you got that extra hour of sleep. There it is. All right. All right, take your Bible, go with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to look at a few verses today out of a story from the Old Testament. Um, I want to encourage you to take some notes. So there is a blank message note card in a seat near you, or if you're using your smartphone or journal, just find something to take notes. I'm going to give you permission. If you've got your Bible, you can write in your Bible. Come on, use that as your Bible, write in your Bible, highlight in your Bible. We're going to walk through some things today that I do believe will be an encouragement to you and maybe even a challenge to you. Um, and so 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to sit on verse number 1 for just a moment, and I'll kind of unpack verse number 1, kind of exegete of verse number 1, and then I'll show you the rest of the story here. There are two main characters in 2 Kings chapter 5. One of the main characters is Elisha, the prophet, the man of God, will be introduced to his part in the story in just a moment, but the other main character is a man by the name of Naaman. Naaman, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse number 1, here's how the story unfolds. Now, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. So already in this first verse, what we're getting is a little bit of a resume of this guy named Naaman. And the first thing that you might see on his resume is his position, that he is the commander of the army of the king of Aram. This would mean that, that Naaman would be second in command. The only person that was in a greater position of responsibility and authority would be the king of Aram. So Naaman has been appointed as 
the general of the Syrian army. So he, he's a pretty big deal. And so you see already that he's established here with a great position. The verse goes on to say, though, that not only is he a man of great position, but that he was a great man in the sight of his master, that he was highly regarded, and here's why. Here's why he was known to be a great man, and here's why he was held in such high regard, because through him the Lord had given victory to the nation of Abram. And so not only do you see Naaman's position, but in verse number one, you also see his prestige, that he is widely respected, and he's actually widely well-known. He's a national hero. He's a war hero. He is the commander that led the army into battle and into victory over every enemy that would come against them. As a matter of fact, when you read about Naaman, you discover that the Bible talks about that on his head were the crowns of victory, and on his chest he wore the medals of valor and honor. So everywhere that Naaman went, the people knew him and they recognized him. He was prestigious, he was popular, because this was the guy that, that, that led them into victory. As a matter of fact, the English word victory here in the Hebrew is the word teshua, and it literally means deliverance, or salvation. And so some people, some citizens of Aram, viewed Naaman as their deliverer, as their savior. So again, here you have a man that is in a great position. He's commander. He's second in command. He's, he's the general of the army. But he's also wildly popular and full of prestige. I don't know your story, and, and I don't guess I need to know your story, but I would imagine that some of you, you kind of find yourself in a similar position, that you... You have worked yourself into a certain role of influence or authority, maybe in your business or your company or, or maybe even in life. Uh, because of the accomplishments and successes that you've, you've had, uh, people recognize you, they, they respect you, uh, they applaud you, they appreciate you, especially your teenage children. Come on, parents. You know that ain't true. Come on, somebody. But at the end of the day, what you're going to see at the, the last of uh, verse number one in 2 Kings chapter five, is that there was something in Naaman's life that was greater than his position and greater than his prestige. That there are four words here that I really want you to see. And I think that these four words, while they don't describe your situation or my situation to be exact, we all can recognize that there can be something in our life that if not dealt with, can become a problem. Watch these four words. 2 Kings 5.1, the Bible says this, but he had leprosy. But he had leprosy. Now watch this. Again, this is Naaman's resume. A man of great influence, a man of great authority, a man of great position. He's widely respected and well-known, a national hero. He's prestigious, but he has leprosy. And here we identify his problem. This is why a lot of people come to church. They, they have a problem that they can't solve on their own, a problem that is greater than their own ability or their own strength. And here is Naaman, again, great position, great prestige, but a great problem. Now, leprosy isn't very common anymore, especially in the United States of America. Um, so, so this seems like a little bit of a foreign disease to us. However, in ancient times, to be diagnosed with leprosy was one of the most... Uh, horrific and humiliating diseases in the ancient times. 
The Greek word for leprosy is the word lepra. And it literally means this, to peel off in scales. And that was the stigma of this disease. Anybody that had leprosy, uh, they would watch portions of their body become numb. As a matter of fact, I don't think leprosy was, was very painful because it attacked the nervous system. And so they couldn't feel the effects of their disease because it, 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 it attacked them not just from the outside in, but from the inside out. But individuals would watch muscles completely waste away. Their hands and their feet would begin to contract almost like the claw of an animal. And then the ulceration of the fingers and the toes, losing them bit by bit until one day, if you had leprosy, a whole hand could fall off or a whole foot could fall off. And so this disease was overwhelming and, and it was a problem for this great commander in a great position that was well known. Let me show you a few facts here about leprosy in ancient times. Uh, three, three quick thoughts here. The first one is a leper would be considered unclean. And so anytime, anytime that they were to introduce themselves into a society or a, an environment or a room because they were outcast from society, they had to live on the outside of the city walls, they were instructed to wear black from head to toe, they had to wear a hood to cover their face, but anytime that they were walking into an environment or a room or a city, they would have to introduce themselves by yelling at the top of their lungs, unclean, unclean, unclean. So already they've been identified as a person that was an outcast and isolated from society because of their disease. Secondly, leprosy was incurable by man. And now we've talked about that here in America, it's not something that we deal with, but but the disease of leprosy is still worldwide. Uh, India is often impacted by outbreaks of, of leprosy. Uh, remote parts of Brazil, they, they feel the impact of, of leprosy. Parts of Africa, uh, where, where medication hasn't evolved to help with this particular disease. And, and so while we're blessed, come on, somebody say amen to that. You are blessed to live in America with great medication and great doctors and all of that. In ancient times, there was no cure. So those that were diagnosed with leprosy, they, they had very little hope of ever getting a cure. Outside of a miracle, they knew that they were gonna die from the impact of the disease. And then third truth is this, is that oftentimes in scripture, leprosy was a picture of sin in their life. Now, you and I, we don't have leprosy on the outside, but, but maybe there is leprosy of the heart. Maybe there is sin in our heart. And I just wanna encourage you today with this truth that God's love is unconditional, and it doesn't matter how much sin has tainted your heart, has impacted your life, no matter how far you feel from God, in one moment, just by repenting your sin and calling out the name of Jesus, he can make you clean. Come on, can I get 100 people to say amen to that? And the, great, the greatest miracle that you could ever experience in your life is when you lay down yourself when you lay down your sin and you pick up at the foot of the cross grace from God, mercy from God, love from God. Does that make sense? And so before we get any, any deeper into this message, if there, is, if there is sin in your heart, man, confess that to God and let his freedom enter in. For whom the Son set free is free indeed. So I know that you're trying to pursue a miracle. You desire a miracle. Let the miracle of mercy Fill your heart with great hope. Can somebody say amen right there? Come on, let's go. So here's Naaman. He's got a great position. He's got great prestige, but he has a great problem. 
That's verse number one. Here we go. Verse number two. Now, a band of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. She served as a Naaman's wife's assistant or servant girl. Verse number three says that this young girl went to her mistress and she said to her, seeing that her master was sick with leprosy, watch what she says here. If only my master would go see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, I want you to skip to verse number nine if you're reading with me. Watch verse number nine. So Naaman, hearing the, the information from the servant girl that there is a prophet who has the ability to hear from the Lord, to hear from God and heal people, he saddles up his horses, he steps on his chariot, and he and all of his men, they, they ride to Elisha's house. And when they get to Elisha's house, when they stop at Elisha's door, they knock on the door, and I'll show you verse number 10 here in just a moment, but Elisha doesn't come to the door. He sends a servant to the door with a message. And that's a lot like me and you, isn't it? Like there was a time, and you remember this growing up, where when people knocked on your door, you were excited to answer the door. But now when they knock on the door, you look at your ring doorbell and you tell the whole family, get down on the floor. Everybody lay down. Everybody don't say a word. Don't look at them. Don't. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's getting around the corner like this, like you don't want to see nobody. So I think Elisha looks at the ring doorbell and he's like, oh, it's Naaman. It's Naaman. So Elisha says to his servant, he says, go and give Naaman this message. And I want you to see the message from the prophet of the Lord. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. It doesn't get any more clear or direct than this command. Go take a bath, and you get your healing. Go dip in a river, and you get delivered. And instead of appreciation and expectation, you know what sets in the heart of Naaman? Frustration. He's angry. Does the prophet not know who I am? Does he not know my position? Does he not know my prestige? And all of a sudden, the pride of Naaman is growing greater than the problem in his life. And I'm getting ahead of my, my, my thoughts here, but this is so dangerous for us that if we allow pride to creep in, we won't clearly hear what the Lord is instructing of us to do, and we may never get our miracle because we don't like what God told us to do. Do you see that? And Naaman, much like us, gets frustrated and tries to negotiate with God. Can I tell you, this is not, this is not a negotiation with God. You don't get to bargain with God. It is God's way and only God's way. Can you say amen to that? So Naaman, the Bible says, Naaman goes away angry. He says, this is what I thought. It's what I thought. You ever had that moment in your faith journey? This is what I thought. I thought that the man of God would come out, wave his hand over me. Some of you may not know this name, but like a Benny Hinn. Whew. Right, and God can work that way. But I thought the man of God would just wave his hand over me and uh, surely I would be healed. And that was it. So, so here's what he's saying. I wanted him to do all the work. I didn't want to do anything. And if you want to get a miracle, there's a part that you play and there's a part that God will play. Does that make sense? And so here's the bargain. Here's the negotiation. He says, do you, do you know who I am? I've, I've got other rivers. I've got other waters that are far better than what you're telling me to go take a bath in. 
And I think we do that all the time. He says, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I go wash in them and be clean? And I think we do this all the time. God gives us instruction even through his written word, and we're like, but I got a better way. There's a different plan. Can we do it my way, God? And listen, it's not your way, it's God's way. And Naaman is frustrated. He's mad, pride. And I'm, it's a shock that he has any pride left because of the leprosy, but pride creeps in and, and he's, he's, he's just like fired up. And he's angry at, for three primary reasons. One, he's angry what he has to do. Secondly, he's angry how he has to do it. And then he's mad at where it's gotta be done. First of all, like I said, he didn't wanna do anything. I just want the Lord to do it all. I just want you, Lord, just to wave your hand and just fix it all. I don't want to go through a process. Processes can be painful, can't they? So I don't, he don't want to do anything. And then he's also mad how he's got to do it. I got to, you're telling me, the general of the army, I got to get off my chariot. I got to take off my clothes and go down into the, to the river and take a bath. Really? And then, and then of all the places, you can tell me, go to the Jordan River, the most polluted of all the waters in Israel, the the nastiest of waters where, where the, the dirty people are bathing and, and doing laundry and using the bathroom. I got I to gotta dip there. He's like, no, no, no. And he's mad. Uh, let me give you a little teaching thought here for just a moment, okay? Because whenever, whenever God says do something, you have to be obedient to exactly what God is calling you to do. No negotiation, no bargaining. Thus saith the Lord. And his word is the final word, Amen. So our job, watch, is faith and obedience. That's our job. God's job is the outcome. Listen to me. You can't do the miracle. You can't do the healing. You can't do the saving. You can't do the delivering. You don't have the power to do any of that. God's got all the power to do that. But what you can do is trust and obey. So every day you walk by faith not by sight. You just keep trusting. You keep obeying. And God's promises are always yes and amen. That's a great place to pause and say amen to the Lord right there. Come on. This is your job. Your job is faith. Your job is obedience. God's job is the outcome. The problem with so many of us is we want control. We want to manipulate the process and we want control of how the miracle is going to happen. And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Here's the thing about obedience and faith. Obedience does something to the heart of God. Obedience gets the attention of the heart of God. Obedience pleases God. And watch this. The Bible says that obedience is greater than sacrifice. So, so whatever, whatever it is that God does in your life and whatever success or favor that you find yourself walking in, the only part of that story that you can take credit for is your obedience. That's it. Lord, if you say walk, I'm gonna walk. If you say jump, I'll jump. If you say dip, I'll dip. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm willing to do it because I've got faith and a desire to obey. And when I walk in faith and obedience and trust, when I keep believing, keep praying, keep fasting, keep sowing, keep going, keep doing, I know that the outcome will be exactly what you promised it to be. Come on. 
I know you lack an hour of sleep, but somebody praise God like the miracle's already happening. Now watch this. So obedience doesn't mean that God's process in order to get our miracle always makes sense in the natural. It don't make sense. Sometimes we see in the natural, but you can't see in the supernatural. And it's like, what? You're telling me to do what? You're telling me to, to sacrifice what? To, to give up what? To move where? To go where? Come again? Lord, are we on the same page? I like my comfortable life. I like my lifestyle. I like my nine to five. Don't take me out of my comfort zone. But God says, if you want the miracle, then you've got to take a step of obedience, even if it doesn't make sense. So the question is, are you going to obey the process before you ever even see the miracle? And Naaman's angry. He's angry at what he has to do, how he has to do it, and where it has to be done. And pride, listen to me. Look at me real quick. Pride is about to keep him from his breakthrough. Pride is about to keep him from his cleansing and from his healing, from his miracle. But something powerful happens in verse number 13. I'll show you a couple of words that are highlighted here, and I'll unpack two of them, and then the third one here in just a moment. Servants and great thing. If you're writing in your Bible, you're taking notes, I want you to write those two words down. Watch what happens in verse number 13. Naaman's servants, they come to him and they say, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be clean? If Let's start with great thing. Here's what they say. If the Lord would have told you to do a great thing, would you not have done it? But yet something so simple, something so small, something so in, insignificant, you got a problem with it? And tell me if this isn't our life. This is Pastor JC more times than I would like to admit. I always focus on the major instead of just being obedient in the minor and this is, this is how it plays out all the time. We expect God to do some, you know, earth-shaking, mountain-crumbling, valley-raising, heaven-opening miracle when God's just like, hey, I'm operating in the minor stuff too. Just be faithful in the minor. Be obedient in the minor. God, I, I, need, a, I need a miracle in my marriage. He doesn't love me like he used to love me. She doesn't affirm me like she used to affirm me. I need a miracle from heaven to come down and to shake our marriage. And God's like, I can do that. Or you could just call the counselor and just start in a session and just be obedient to counseling. And the miracle is in the process. Oh, but we just want you to fix it. I don't, I don't want to do my part. I just want you to fix her. I just want you to fix him. If she would just get saved or if he would just get saved and goes, hey, 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 I can do that. Or you could just go to counseling and find out that you're both dysfunctional, thus saith the Lord. Come on, somebody. God, I need a miracle in my finances. Lord, every time I look at my money, I realize that there is a whole lot more month than there is money. I'm talking to somebody now. Listen to me. So, Lord, I need a major miracle. I need unexpected checks just to show up in the mail. Can he do it? He can do it, or he could say, or you could create a budget. And you could just be faithful with the little, and then when you prove yourself, I'll make you rulers over much. But, but I'm, what do you mean I got a budget? I like my, you telling me I got to give up Starbucks? 
to make a budget, the small thing. God, I need a miracle in my body. I need a miracle in my health. And if you don't show up, I don't know what's going to happen. So can you just reach your healing hands down from heaven, wave them over me and touch my body and cure me of this disease? Sure. Or you could just walk through the prayer line next Sunday. And just one simple minor step of obedience, the miracle could be in the process. Does that make sense? A lot of times we want them. Help me, Jesus. We want the major thing to happen because we put all of it on him and we don't have any part to play. And God says, I am a major God and I do major miracles, but you can also be obedient in the minor things. Come on and put your hands together. Watch. We told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? But let's go back here to naming servants. Naming servants, because this is what's important. Who you surround yourself with matters. For some of you, the reason that you've not yet gotten your miracle is because you're hanging around people that are always pulling you away from God instead of pushing you towards the things of God. You've set yourself up with people that they don't give two flying flips about your miracle or really about you. They're just using you. They're not speaking life into you. They're speaking death into you. They're not speaking hope or peace into you. They're speaking despair and anxiety and fear. And I'm telling you, who you surround yourself with matters. You need people in your life that will look at you and love you enough to say, hey, don't be an idiot here. Don't be immature here. You're going to miss out on God's supernatural blessing if I don't confront you and tell you, don't miss the forest for the trees, Naaman. And the bravery of the servant, this is the general of the army could have had him executed, but thank God that Naaman had some people in his life that were willing to speak up, and thank God Naaman was willing to listen. Who's in your life right now pushing you towards a greater faith in God? Strengthening your faith in the Lord. Holding you accountable to live on the straight and narrow. Or is every person in your life just a, a negative influence? And every time you get around them, you feel one step farther away from God instead of one step closer. You know, for years, Kimberly and I, we were youth pastors, and that was like the, the number one theme of every sermon. Like, show me your five closest friends, I'll show you your, your next five years. You always act like who you run with, who's in your entourage, who you surround yourself with matters. Peer pressure is real. And then I thought, well, when I get promoted to a bunch of adults, y'all would have had that figured out. But you're worse than the kids. It's crazy to me. So, so let's just be honest here. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. You will always act like the people you run with. Who you surround yourself with matters. Who is in your entourage. Man, you ought to be very, very careful who you let into your inner circle. Why? Because you are chosen by God. You are called by God. You are anointed by God. God's got great plans for your life, and the enemy will send people into your inner circle to do one thing, to steal, kill, and destroy. So you better go through your contact list, go through your Facebook friends, go through your Instagram friends, start deleting some people from your life. They'll say, well, you're acting holier than thou. Well, looking at your life, I am holier than thou. Come on, somebody. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I'm on a walk and a journey towards the things of God. And if none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. I wish you'd help me preach today. I'm running on four hours of sleep. Come on. Man, this is so, if I had, no, if I had cash in my pocket, I'd give myself an offering. This is so good. 
I'm gonna Venmo myself. I've been working out. That's the problem. I've been working out. Go performance. I'm gonna preach for an hour today. Come on. Let's get this party started. You need accountability. Iron sharpens iron. Get some people in your life that'll hold you accountable. And thanks be to God that Naaman had some people in his life and they said, hey, before you saddle up your horses and get on that chariot, maybe there's something in this word from the Lord. And in a moment of obedience and in a moment of conviction, Naaman decides, I got nothing to lose. I will die in my disease. And listen to me. There is a way that seems right into a man. And if you don't change your behavior, if you don't course correct, it will lead to death. And Naaman stops. Watch verse number 14. Everybody good today? Come on. Let's go. Verse number 14. So Naaman, watch this. He went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan River seven times. Just, this is important. I like this. Just as the man of God instructed. Not three dips, not 12 dips, seven times. I will do exactly what you command me to do. Nothing more, nothing less. And the Bible says that his flesh was restored and his skin became clean like that of a young boy. And in a moment, you know what Naaman realizes, and I hope you hear this word. Come on, listen to me for a second, because some of you are wrestling with this. I told you last Sunday, you want Jesus to be your Savior, but you still want to be your own Lord. No, it's giving God your whole heart, and Naaman realizes God's way is the only way. God's way is the only, only way. A crowd of people watching Naaman as he descends from his chariot begins to walk down to the bank of the muddy, polluted, nasty, disgusting Jordan River. Reaches down and he takes his shoes off. And you can hear the murmuring of the people. Is he really gonna get in the water? And I'm sure, listen, this is, this is probably bad theology, but it's good preaching, so hang in there with me. I'm sure Naaman had a few choice words underneath his breath. breath. Really? Is that what you're going to have me do? Like, like you've never been frustrated when God told you to do something that you didn't want to do. But yet he walks, and he walks by faith and not by sight because he's still sick. And he gets into the water, and the crowd of people are looking at him. And I know he's frustrated, but he bends down and he says, Okay. I'll just trust and believe that if you are able in this moment to heal me just through my faith and obedience, then I'm willing to give you a try. And he takes one deep breath. healed and now the people you know that they're talking this he said this is ridiculous this is insane I'm the general they're saying can you look at him how silly how crazy how wild I'm the commander 
And I feel like in his heart, the Spirit of God would just say, hey, just, just keep dipping. That's a word for somebody, just, just keep dipping. Don't quit in the dip, just keep dipping. Now they're laughing, just like you. Can you believe this pastor has taken a bath in front of us on a Sunday? I'm gonna end up with about five baths today, from this morning to the three in these gatherings and then this afternoon. And I'm sure that Naaman continues to look at his body and I don't know, but not a sore is gone. Not a scab has been removed. He looks the exact same on the second dip as he did before he started dipping. But in his heart, I mean, I'm in two times, I might as well go three. Come on, church. The water's cold too, by the way. Somebody doesn't love their pastor at Go Church. Also, somebody's getting fired, come on. I'm getting healed, but they're getting fired. They'll be promoted to another job. Maybe from the back of the crowd, the servant. Master, don't quit in the dip. Keep dipping. I don't know who this is for, but you're in the middle of a midnight. You're overwhelmed with fear and exhaustion and fatigue. You listen to me. Don't you give up today. Your miracle might be tomorrow. Come on, you keep dipping. Hey, four, is that four? Something powerful about dip number four. Cause you're over halfway home. Whoa, come on. Oh yeah, I think all of a sudden, inside of the heart of Naaman, he recognized, it's better for me to go forward than it is to go backward because I'm closer to my miracle today than I've ever been. I'm not turning back, I'm not turning around, I'm gonna keep on dipping. be the glory to God be the glory I don't know I don't know how Naaman felt but I know how I feel in this moment some of y'all need to get in this pool with me the water's stirring the Holy Ghost is moving and I believe that in that dip Naaman looks at the on crowd and he says to him there is a Spirit of God moving in the Jordan River and in my faith and in my obedience I'm not stopping I'm not quitting devil you should have killed me while you had your chance greater is he on the inside of me than he that's in the world Jesus. Woo! 
to worship you, Jesus. To worship you is why I live. Come on, hands lifted all around this room. And I think this, the seventh dip may have been harder than the first dip because now it's all on the line. Why would God say dip seven times? Because seven is the number of perfection, the number of completion. And watch this, God says to you, don't quit. In his pro, I feel the Holy Spirit. If I've ever felt the Holy Spirit in my preaching, it's right here. The reason I'm taking you on a process is because I want you to arrive at completion and perfection. So don't you stop. Even if you don't understand it, you keep doing what I've called you to do. You do the faith. You do the obedience. And God says, watch, I'll do the outcome. When I come up out of this water, every person ought to lift your voice to God, lift your hands to God. Your miracle is coming. Don't you quit in the dip. You ready? Come on.